Um, would you, congregation, would you open God's Word to Psalm 134 as we are looking at the last Psalms of Ascent? Uh, psalm 134, another short psalm for us this morning. This is the Word of the Lord for us. Psalm 134, verses 1 through 3. A song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer and asking God to bless the preaching of this word and our hearts as we hear it? Let's ask the Lord. Father, you are blessed. And we bless you this morning. As you call us to bless you, we ask that you would speak to our hearts in a way that our hearts would be encouraged, edified, built up, and particularly that our affections would be oriented towards you so that we may find in you our true delight, our reward, our ultimate blessing. Father, we pray that you would help us hear this word in a way that Christ would also be exalted in our midst. And we pray all this for the, through the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit that's among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This psalm is so short that by the time you found it, we were already done reading it. It's a sweet, short conclusion to a collection of psalms uh, that is called the Psalms of Ascents. It's a collection of 15 psalms starting with Psalm 120 all the way to 134. It's a collection that the Jewish believers, uh, the Jewish people would sing as a journey together to Jerusalem every year to worship God there. Now there's a number of uncertainties in the, psalm, in the short psalm, and we will hear about that later. But what is clear about this psalm is that it is summoning us today to seek God, to worship Him, in the context of corporate worship. There are many parts in the Bible that call us to gather, to do, to tell, and tells us what to do when we gather together for corporate worship. We are, we're called to worship God through song, as we have done already. We're called to worship God through prayer, as we have done so already. And we will do more of that tonight when we'll gather for our evening prayer service. We're also called to worship God as we hear and devote ourselves to the, the apostolic teaching, to hear God's word proclaimed through the preaching of his word, and to respond to this word as we hear it with faith. We're also called to worship God by giving to him of our tithes and our offerings, gifts to him as we give generously and joyfully to the Lord. We worship God through all that we do when we're gathered together, when we speak to one another, when we encourage, when we encourage each other to love and good deeds, we worship God. We worship God through partaking of the, of the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, as we have done so this morning, as we witness and testify baptisms when uh, new believers proclaim Christ publicly through baptism. There's many things in Scripture that we are told what to do when we're gathered to worship God together. This psalm that we've just read speaks of one small facet, but an important one, of what to do when we gather to worship God together. And this 
psalm is giving us a very simple and clear charge. And the charge is this. Come, bless the God who blesses his people. Come, bless the God who blesses his people. That's, the, that's a lesson. That's a charge this psalm is giving to us this morning. Three verses. The first two verses, if you may, you may have picked up on the repetition of the word to bless, that shows up in every verse of the psalm. But particularly in the first two verses, the, the command is given that we, the people, would bless the Lord. So the theme of this psalm and of this sermon this morning is the blessing of God. In the first two verses is, is we who are called to bless the Lord. And in the last part of the psalm, verse 3, it, it, there's a prayer that, that God would bestow his blessing upon us. So let's look at how this psalm is teaching us to bless the God who blesses his people. In the first two verses, the first call is to bless God. And, and in, the, in the second move of the psalm, which is in verse 3, is a prayer, the hope that God would bless us. Let's look at these two moves that the psalm gives us. The call to bless God. Verse 1, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. When we think about the blessings of God, our first instinct is to think of that which God would do for us. What God would do to bless us of God giving us what we need. Actually, I wonder how many of you, even in hearing the title of the sermon today, uh, your first instinct was to go to think about, okay, we're going to talk about the blessings that God gives us. But this psalm surprises us in that before it talks about God blessing us, it actually calls us to bless God. Bible commentators debate who is being addressed in the psalm. Is this psalm addressing the priests and the Levites who were responsible for leading the worship services at the temple? And they were called to do so in the morning and in the evening? Are these verses particularly addressed to those who were responsible for leading the, e the evening services of the temple? Or, another possibility... Is this psalm addressing the worshipers who came to the temple to worship God in the evening services? Bible commentators differ wildly on this. And actually this debate of who is addressed in the psalm goes all the way to a few centuries before, uh, before Christ. When the first translation of the Old Testament was translated into the Greek language... The, the translators of the Septuagint actually give us clues that they thought this psalm was addressed for the worshipers who gathered for corporate worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Reality is we cannot be sure exactly who was the primary first audience of this psalm, the priests, the Levites, or the worshipers. But it may not make as much of a difference because the lesson that this psalm is trying to teach us, and it speaks even to us, worshipers in the 21st century, is a very simple and clear message. Bless the Lord who blesses his people. But what does it mean for us human beings to bless God? Is there a lack in God? 
that somehow we need to bless God for and hoping that that lack, that need would be met? Is this what's being referred to when we think about blessing God? Oh, friends, when we are blessing God, we're not wishing Him something that He does not already have. The meaning of blessing God, this call to bless God, is very different than the meaning of when God blesses us. I love how one Bible interpreter, uh, Alec Motier, put it this way. When he blesses us, he reviews our needs and meets them. When we bless him, we review his excellencies and worship him. Very different meaning when we think about us blessing God in contrast with God blessing us. The phrase to bless the Lord means to give God what He already has. To ascribe to God what He already rightly owns, what rightly belongs to Him. To attribute to Him what He is and what He has. Our hearts ascribe to God what he already has. A glory, affirmation of his blessedness. In this sense, to bless God overlaps in meaning with the act of praising him, of adoring him. But there's a little more to blessing God than just mere praising him. When we bless God, we recognize that he is the ultimate blessed one. That we are not it, He is it. We attribute to Him what our sinful hearts would naturally want to keep to ourselves. In declaring God as blessed, our hearts show His worthiness and that we find Him to be the greatest treasure, to be the source of of every blessing. Friends, if, if you want to fight selfishness or if you want to fight the tendency of your thoughts to always be thinking about yourself, of your needs or of your cravings. Engage regularly in blessing God. Doing so, our hearts um, begin to verbalize that actually that what we, what we crave belongs to somebody else. So just verbally express, oh God, we bless you. You are the most blessed one. If you want to fight temptations or discouragement, seek to engage in blessing God in your heart, but also publicly and also corporately. God does not need our blessings. Let's be clear about that. God does not need our blessings. He is not somehow short of blessings. But it is good for our hearts to bless Him. It is good for our hearts to acknowledge that God is the most blessed one, that He's the most perfect, the the most supremely good, the greatest good, the, the most merciful, the most loving, the most just that he will vindicate his people and bring us justice. It is good for our hearts to bless the Lord. But it is also right 
that the one who is truly the most blessed one, the source of all blessing, it is right for him to be publicly recognized as such and to acknowledge, to be acknowledged as such. He is the fountain of every blessing. As the words of the song we have sung earlier in our service, come thou fount of every blessing. It is not only good for our hearts to bless God, it is right for us to acknowledge him as the most blessed one. Friends, this psalm is not the only time in the Bible when God's people are called to bless the Lord. Lots of other places. In some psalms, the writer is speaking to his own soul, instructing his own mind and heart to bless the Lord. Just listen to a few of these examples. Psalm 26, verse 12. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. You know, the parts of the Psalter, the author instructs others to bless God. Let me just read two, of, two other examples. Bless God in the great congregation. Psalm 68, 26. And Psalm 145.10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Do you hear this repetition of the, how we are commanded to, to bless the Lord? But, but why should we bless the Lord? Surprisingly, this psalm does not tell us why we should bless the Lord. This psalm does not give us a list like other places that I have just read to you and other psalms that call us to praise God and to bless Him. Um, other places give us a list of why we should do so, but this psalm does not. Instead, this psalm is focusing on teaching us two facets about blessing God. That is the when and the how. The when and the how of blessing God. Now, if you're like, wait, I'm not ready for that yet. I just want to know why should I bless God. Go home, the, the, the psalm we have read, 103 and then 104. Just read those at home tonight, this afternoon, and you will be given plenty of reasons why you should bless God. But here in our passage, in our text, this call to bless God is leading us to, to focus on the when and the how. And when corporate blessing of God, the corporate blessing of God should happen not only in the morning, but also in the evening. Look at how verse 1 ends. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Oh, friends, this psalm is addressed specifically as an invitation to those who worship the Lord in the evening worship service. Now, at the temple, God gave instructions that priests had to bring sacrifices both in the morning and in the evening. God made this as a, as a part of the, the public worship in the Old Testament that at the temple, the priests and the Levites were supposed to bring sacrifices to the Lord both in the morning and in the evening. Listen just to one of the prophets, Daniel. Chapter 9, verse 21, when Daniel speaks about receiving one of the visions that he received in the Old Testament, he says the following about the timestamp 
of when he received this, this vision from the Lord. In chapter 9, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, the angel, uh, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. What is surprising here? That, that Daniel will tell us the exact, not only day, but the exact time in the day when he received this vision from the angel, from angel Gabriel. And he calls it at the time of the evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice was part of what God had decreed the priests and the Levites to carry out in Jerusalem every morning and every evening. But what's surprising here is Daniel is not in Jerusalem. He's exiled. He's away from Jerusalem. And by the time he receives this vision in chapter 9, Daniel had been exiled for a few decades. And what's surprising is that Daniel would still think of the day and the time in the day in the evening, and he calls it the time of the evening sacrifice. It's a way in which Daniel shows that actually his mind is still thinking through the category of the evening worship. Do you remember the time in the New Testament when uh, one of the widows in the temple um, was living and, and ministering to the, to the Lord there, Anna, in the Christmas narrative, when Jesus as a baby is brought to the temple? And on the eighth day, he's met by two older saints, Simeon and Anna. And Luke describes this about Anna. Anna, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Oh, friends, this call to bless the Lord to bless God during the evening is, uh, is showing us that actually the, for the worshipers of God, we should not think about, hey, I'm, I'm done with corporate worship in the morning. I'm done. I can go home and just do my stuff. But there is actually in the Old Testament and in the New a, a pattern in which the public worship of God was happening both in the morning and in the evening. This is one of the practices that we as a church uh, practice intentionally and want to cultivate, that we would gather for corporate worship, not just in the morning service, but also in the evening service, to gather for, for prayer, to gather to worship God together as a gathered people. Friends, could these words be said of you? Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Could these words be said to you? I want to encourage you to plan your responsibilities on the weekend in such a way that you are available and are eager to come and worship the Lord, not only in the morning, but also in the evening. This is why we care about, our, as a congregation, having an evening service in which most of the time, a good chunk of our time together, is focused on prayer. But we also sing together. We also hear words of exhortation and encouragements from other members of the congregation. But I want to encourage you to consider reorienting your weekend responsibilities 
in such a way that you would consider coming to public worship in the evening as well. This, this psalm tells us not only the when, but also the how. Look at verse 2. Bless God with hands lifted up towards the holy place. Lift up your hands, the holy place, and bless the Lord. What does it mean to lift up your hands towards the holy place and bless the Lord? Does this mean that we should, as we gather here, we should stand up, lift up our hands, and particularly orient ourselves towards the city of Jerusalem uh, and, and orient our prayers in that direction? Is that what we're supposed to do when we gather today as New Testament believers? Well, first of all, the, the picture of lifting up your hands is a picture of prayer. It's a picture of, of worship. It's a picture of seeking God. And even our body posture should have and or is supposed to have this orientation of life. Our entire being is oriented towards God. The image of lifting up hands is the image of, of communicating or communing with God in prayer. And uh, it's, let me just give you an example of, of how this is being used throughout the Old Testament and the New. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, God says to his people, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you pray, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. If you want to understand why God would say that to his people, that sounds very discouraging, doesn't it? If you want to understand why God would say that to his people, come tonight and hear Bogdan speak from chapter 1 of Isaiah. But the short answer is because of the sins of God's people. They have disobeyed the Lord over and over and over again and have ignored his commands. They have chosen to live lives on their own. Paul picks up this posture of prayers with lifting up your hands. And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. The lifting up of the hands is a bodily posture that reinforces our desire to express our orientation towards God. And the fact that Psalm 134 specifically directs worshipers to lift their hands towards the holy place reinforces another facet. In Old Testament times, the, old, the, old, the holy place was referring to the area in the temple which represented God's presence, the Holy of Holies. So imagine the worshipers were supposed to orient their body posture towards the place in the temple that was representing God's presence. It was a way of saying, God, we need you. We are dependent on you. Our whole lives are reorienting ourselves, even physically speaking, in the moment of prayer, towards you. Now, after the arrival of Jesus, we know that the worship of God is no longer, was no longer limited to the physical temple in Jerusalem. And even his presence, the presence of God, was no longer limited to the Holy of Holies, that special place in the temple that, that symbolized the presence of God. Jesus said to the woman at Samaria, who was interested to know the legitimate place of worship, Jesus said to her, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Gospel of John makes clear 
that Jesus is both the fulfillment and the replacement of the physical temple in Jerusalem, because all that the physical temple pointed to has finally come among them. And when the object that the signs were pointing to has finally arrived, you no longer need the signs pointing to. It's done. It's here. Jesus is here. Because all that the physical temple pointed to has come to be fulfilled in the ultimate person of Jesus Christ as he gave his body to be the lamb to be sacrificed so that people who have been rebellious, who have turned against the Lord, could come and have their sins washed away, forgiven, and be invited to, to have fellowship with God. So now all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, we now pray to God and we approach God's throne of grace looking not to reorient our bodies to the right north, south, east, west to make sure that we're looking towards a physical place, the physical temple in Jerusalem. We are looking and orienting our lives towards Jesus who is the fulfillment of everything that had happened in the temple. That's why today we no longer look or lift up our hands and sort of orient our bodies towards the physical city of Jerusalem as we pray to God. If anything, after the coming of Christ, God's presence is manifested first and foremost in Christ. And after Jesus departed bodily to the right hand of the Father, when he's, his body is no longer physically present with us, Jesus instructed the apostles to make sure we understand that now those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are built together, are united in a covenant community. And this covenant community, it's as if, as if they're built together into a temple, into a holy temple. And the gathering of people who put their faith in Jesus is now the physical manifestation, the physical representation of the presence of Jesus here on earth. So now the gathering of the saints, the people of God gathered to worship Jesus, are now the temple in which the Spirit of God dwells. And our life orientation is now supposed to be oriented towards the presence of God, which is in the gathering of his people. You say, where do I get these ideas from? From the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I'll be reading from verse 19 to verse 22. Just listen to these words. So then you, speaking to those who are saved, those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of a household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Where is the temple of God? The Old Testament temple was foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. Jesus came, he replaced it, he fulfilled it. And then Jesus ascended to the Father, he's no longer physically here. So now the temple of God is in the gathering in the being built together of the people of God who are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. Friends, this means that as we pray, 
as we lift our hands to God, orienting our whole life towards his presence, we are orienting our lives towards Jesus and physically speaking towards the physical body of Jesus, which is the gathering of the saints. Now, should you raise your hand physically in our services? You are welcome to do so. You're welcome to raise your hands physically in prayer, in song, as the Lord leads you. But recognize that Psalm 134, verse 2, speaks of a life that is oriented with its direction towards the presence of God as we pray to Him and as we bless His name corporately with other believers. Raising our hands without orienting our lives towards Christ and towards His people is meaningless. A bodily posture without a heart that actually turns its attention towards Christ and towards the gathering of His people, because that's where God dwells, is meaningless. So friends, let me ask you, do you orient your life towards the presence of God manifested in the corporate gathering of His people? Knowing that Christ gathers with us every Sunday, and even as we have taken the, the Lord's Supper together, these elements represent the body of Christ broken for us, shed His blood shed for us. Christ is present with us in the gatherings. So even not only on Sunday morning when we gather, but also on Sunday evening, Christ is with us. Would you consider coming to bless God corporately, not only in the morning, but also in the evening? Last uh, two weeks ago, we had a, a Q&A in which Pastor Russ had an opportunity to be asked all kinds of questions. And one of the questions given to him was, what are some weaknesses that you think our church has that we need to address and hear about? Well, let me share, let me answer that question. I know it was asked to him two weeks ago. I'd like to answer that question this morning. I think one of the weaknesses we have as a congregation is we are struggling with the idea of gathering for the evening prayer service. It is inconvenient in a number of ways. I understand. But this psalm is calling us, and it is part of the people of God to gather and to worship the Lord corporately, not only in the morning, but also in the evening. So I pray, and I don't say this in any way to guilt you into this, but it is not one of our strengths. It is a big deal that we have an evening service, but it's not one of our strengths as a congregation that we choose for various reasons not to gather. So I pray that the Lord would help us, encourage us uh, to recognize that when we gather um, for the evening service, uh, it is part of what the Lord delights to see us do. Say, well, what do we do on Sunday nights? We bless the Lord. We bless Him. We have times of prayers, of praise, and we, we bring our petitions before Him. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Well, it should. It should because he's the most blessed one. He deserves all praise, all blessedness. So I want to, I want to bring to you this um, broken heart of mine as I think through and I desire for our church to grow in gathering with God's people in the evening to pray. 
But consider what would happen for us as we gather with God's people, as we make the corporate day of, of, of worship a big deal in our lives in such a way in which, yes, we have to reorient our lives so that we make it a big deal to be gathered with God's people um, the whole day. It is a delight. It is what the people of God have done in the Old Testament. It is what Scripture encourages us to do. So come and bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. May that be true of every one of us this morning. That was point number one. That was the longest. Point number two. If the psalm starts with a call to bless the Lord, the psalm ends with a hope that God is the one who blesses his people. The psalm ends with a hope that God is the one who blesses his people. We see this in verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The effect of coming to bless the Lord is that you walk away not merely blessing the Lord, but you walk away being blessed by the Lord. Friends, this means that even when we come to bless the Lord, we never return from blessing the Lord empty-handed. We are the beneficiaries of blessing the Lord. We can never outbless the Lord. His desire is to see our hearts, the hearts of his children, find their blessing in God alone. And with such a heart posture, God looks towards us with readiness to bless us. And this psalm identifies a source from which God blesses his people. He says plainly, from Zion. Why is God's blessing coming from Zion in this psalm? Well, because Zion in this psalm is a place where people gathered to worship God and to bless him there. God has made Zion to be the place where he made provisions for his people to meet him there. For, his sins to be, for their sins to be forgiven, to be the place where sacrifices would be uh, made so that the rebellion of God's people, their disobedience would be atoned for. Zion was a place where also the Jewish worshipers would bring sacrifices, not only to, to have their sins dealt with, but their sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices of praise, sacrifices of fellowship. Zion is a place where God met corporately with his people. So no wonder that in the Old Testament, Zion was identified as a source of God's blessing. God blesses from Zion. God blesses from the place where worshipers meet with the Lord. Some of us may want the blessings of the Lord without wanting the presence of the Lord. Some of us want the blessing of the Lord without wanting the presence of the Lord. We prefer more in making sure that our needs are met rather than our communion with the Lord to be vibrant and active. But this psalm teaches us in the order in which it speaks of the blessings of the Lord. It teaches us that the, God's blessings come from the place where God communes with his people. And this verse endears Zion to the people of God since it is the place from which God's blessings come. Now again, does this mean that we need to go to Jerusalem to get the blessings of God from there? 
Uh, does this mean that if, if you want to be baptized, you should wait until you go on a trip to Israel and get baptized on the, on the Jordan River as if some, there's something more special or spiritual about that place? No. Friends, God's blessings flow from the place where God gathers with his people in worship, from the place where his provision for their sin is visibly and clearly made. New Testament Christians do not need to go to the physical place in Jerusalem. But listen to what the author of Hebrews says about Christians and where they have come when they have put their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. The author of Hebrews says the following words in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The author of Hebrews says, we have come to this place. We have already come to Mount Zion. When we gather here in this place, it's not that this is the place, but this is the gathering of God's people. And the gathering of God's people here on this earth is anticipating and looking forward to the ultimate climactic gathering of all the universal people of God who will gather on that final day when Jesus returns. But until that day comes... Every gathering of God's people, when we gather regularly in the name of Jesus, as a congregation, as an assembly, when the word is preached regularly and faithfully, when the, when the uh, ordinances are being made and, and exercised and experienced faithfully, it is a place in which the saints in one location commune spiritually with angels, with the universal church, in a way in which this gathering is a gathering to Mount Zion. It's pointing us to that. It's the best we're going to get on this side of eternity until that assembly in that great congregation. So the gathering of God's people regularly for worship in the name of Jesus because of the new covenant that he has established gives us the right and the author of Hebrews gives us this assurance. We have come to Mount Zion. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Oh, friends, this is the place from which God blesses his people. We must remember that the, the blessing of God is a blessing that is tied to what God had planned to do on Mount Zion. As his own son, Jesus, became the mediator of a new covenant. This God who blesses his people is a creator God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. He is the God who is blessing his people with material blessings, blessings that include things of this creation. This means that all our earthly goods come from him. We live our lives trusting that all the things that we need for life, for our sustenance, are actually a gift, a blessing from him. Earlier in the Psalms of Ascent, we have seen various physical blessings that this God who made the heaven and the earth has given us. 
Children are a gift from the Lord. Sleep is a gift from the Lord. Peace and unity is a gift from the Lord. Everything else that we need is a blessing from the Lord. But the greatest blessing that God has given us is his own son. God sent him to the city of Jerusalem. So there, the one who was the source of life would be killed in the place of sinners like you and me. So that all who place their faith and trust in Jesus would experience the the ultimate blessing of God. The one who is the most blessed came to Jerusalem and gave up the right to holding on to the blessings of this life. He gave up the right to the blessings of comfort, the blessings of security, the blessings of respect, the blessings of reputation, the blessing of peace and safety, even privacy. He was beaten, scorned, stripped of his clothes, spit upon, falsely accused. And even life itself was taken from him in the most violent and cruel way. So that from Zion, God could bless his people with what they did not have, with what they did not deserve. But Jesus walked on the streets of Zion so that you and I could be blessed by God from Zion. Well, friends, this psalm is anticipating that God's eternal blessing would flow from that place. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus has already come. And he has lived among us physically. He has ascended to the Father. One day, he will come again. He will come again physically. And until that day comes, we gather week in, week out, as his servants, as God's servants, in the morning and in the evening. And we worship him. We bless him, knowing that from him comes all blessing. So dear servants of God, worshipers of God, come, let us bless the Lord who blesses his people. Let's pray. Father, would you cause our hearts to be stirred up with affections, that we would ascribe our blessing, all blessing and source of blessedness to you. Oh, Lord God, we bless you from this place. We bless you in our gathering because you are the one who has blessed us with blessings that are not merely earthly and material, but spiritual in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. You have given us life everlasting. You have given us an inheritance that can never perish away that no one will take away from us. We bless you, O God. And we ask that you would help us continue to keep our gaze on you who is the ultimate blessed one. 